0: In part one, which I entitled A Radiant Report, we read um, Paul's greeting, Paul and Timothy's greeting to this faithful congregation in the city of Colossae. And here, uh, I think it was verses 1 to 8, Colossians 1, 1 to 8. Paul and Timothy told the saints of the radiant report that they had heard from from this fellow minister in the gospel. And you remember his name, Epaphras. And this report that Paul received, told Paul and Timothy of all the good things that were happening and taking place within the fellowship in this Phrygian city, in the the city of Colossae. In part two, sorry, which was Paul's prayer, we looked at uh, verses nine to 10 in depth. And this is where Paul encouraged the believers in Colossae by telling them that both he and Timothy were remembering the church continually in their prayers. Paul and Timothy were praying that all the believers in that place would be full of the knowledge of God's will with all wisdom and understanding, something that the believers needed in order to, as Paul put it, what did Paul tell them? Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, be fruitful in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. In part three, which I uh, entitled The Source of Strength, we focused in on Paul's words in Colossians 1 verse 11. And Paul and Timothy both desired, they had a a real desire that the believers and faithful saints in this fellowship, in this body of Christ at Colossae would be, and I quote, strengthened with all might. Strengthened with all might. How? Where would this strength and might come from? Well, Paul and Timothy answered this very question in the next phrase. and And Paul wrote this, according to his, that is Jesus Christ's glorious power. Do you remember we looked at that? according to his glorious power. And this power, this glorious power, would enable every saint, every believer, for them to have all patience. Wouldn't it be great if we had all patience? It'd be great if I had all patience. And Paul also wanted them to endure long-suffering with joyfulness. Now that's something, isn't it? Enduring long-suffering with joyfulness. Then in part four, We read Colossians 1, 12, 13, and 14 together, where Paul wrote these words, giving thanks unto the Father. This was Paul's praise. And in this portion, Paul shared with the Colossian believers the wonderful truth, the glorious truth that every believer and every disciple of Jesus was, as he said, a part of the inheritance of the saints in light. Isn't that wonderful? And that was good news, but that wasn't all the good news there was. There was more than that. You see, God had delivered every believer out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. He had translated them, transported them, taken them, moved them from darkness and into glorious light. What wonderful news for the believers in Colossae. And the same is true for all of us tonight. Isn't that right? Can you say amen? Help me out tonight. I hope you can remember the title for parts five and six. The Supreme and superior sustainer. Do you remember we looked at that? And over two weeks, we focused on one of the most powerful passages, I think, in all of Scripture, Colossians 1:15 to 18, where Paul tells the saints, gathered there in that city, Jesus, the Son of God, he is the image, the perfect representation of the invisible God, and that makes him the firstborn over every creature. And by this Jesus, by this firstborn, all things were created all things were created by him and for him. Remember that? By him and for him. And that's not all. This Jesus, the firstborn, he is before or over all things. And by him, all things consist and hold together. But not only is he over all thrones, all powers and all dominions, he is also over us, over the church, his body. Paul writes that Jesus is, the head of the body, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We read that Jesus was the head of the congregation. He is from the beginning and he is the firstborn of the dead. So that in all things, in everything church, over everything and above everything, he would have the preeminence, that he would be number one in rank. Number one. And then Paul writes those inspired words that we read in week seven of our study. We all know it so well. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And you know what, church? It did please the Father that his Son, Jesus Christ, that in him all this fullness, all the fullness of the divine nature, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of the divine nature and and all that it means to be God came to dwell and it still does today. Jesus was The God-man, fully God, but fully man. The only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The fullness of the Godhead resided in Jesus and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. It's still the same today. And you know what, church? That leads us into our scripture reading for tonight, which is Colossians 1, verse 20. Now, I had planned to do four or five verses, but when I started, I just, I got stuck I got stuck on one, so that's what we're doing tonight. And our title for tonight is The Peacemaker's Perfect Plan. Say that with me. The Peacemaker's Perfect Plan. Now, before we read it together, I want to remind you of something that we discussed a few weeks ago. You see, this verse brings to your close the portion that many believe was a saying that was already well-known in the body of Christ at this time. We, we talked about... Was it a hymn? Was it a poem? Was it a simple saying? Was it some kind of doctrinal statement that the church had, had come to know? We just don't know. But it does bring this portion, beginning at verse 15, to a natural conclusion. And I think it's, it, it's right just to end here. And I think the best thing to do, just to keep it in the right context, is to go back and read from verse 15 right through to verse 20 so that we are able to follow the natural flow of Paul and Timothy just to make sure we understand what they were trying to communicate to to the believers all those years in Colossae. Is that okay? Is that all right if we do that? All right. You don't have a choice anyway. So, who? This is verse 15. Who? And that's Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he, he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence or that he might be number one, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace, oh, sorry, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. As I've already said in our previous study a few weeks ago, we'd spent some time in verse 19 trying to mine out and discover the the wonderful gold buried within it. And church, there was many riches to be found as there is in all of the word of God. We learn from Paul that it pleased God. It pleased the Father of all creation to have the fullness of the Godhead and divinity reside permanently in Jesus Christ. And that word's important, permanently this wonderful event, this the incarnation brought pleasure and delight to God. God was pleased with how his plan was working out, as he should be, because it was a wonderful plan. And now in verse 20, we discover something else that brought pleasure and delight to the Father. We read of something else, something wonderful that pleased the one true God. Now, maybe you're thinking, Pete, I, do, I don't see what you're talking about. It's, that's not there. Well, I think a bit of an issue is reading this in the King James Version, which I, I love, I'd be inclined to agree with you because unfortunately the word order that the translators have went with makes it a little bit wooden and it's a bit tricky to grasp. So can I read you just this verse in one other translation that will make it that little bit clearer for you to see? This is God's words, God's word translation. Reading from 19, verse 19. God was pleased to have all of himself live in Christ. God was also pleased to bring everything on earth and in heaven back to himself through Christ. He did this by making peace through Christ's blood sacrificed on the cross. Amen. Did you see it? You see, God was pleased in verse 19, but then we found out in verse 20 that God was also pleased with something else. There are two things here that brought God true delight and pleasure. Firstly, that all the fullness of the Godhead, that divine nature was to be found permanently residing and abiding in Jesus. And secondly, for tonight, that God was pleased to reconcile, to bring back to himself, to restore in relationship to himself absolutely everything on earth and in heaven. And this pleased God so much. These two wonderful events brought the Father delight and pleasure. It pleased God to reconcile all things to himself as the King James states. By him. You see, church, those two words are so important. By him. By Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Whether they are things in earth or whether they are things in heaven. And how did God do this? How was this achieved? What was the plan to make all all of this come to pass. Well, Paul tells us in the very same verse. Paul, something <laughs> Paul. God did this by making peace. The Bible says, "Having made peace." You know what, church? What's fascinating about this? That this this short sentence. This is the only time that Paul uses this specific word in all of his letters and writings. You won't find it anywhere else. In fact, you won't find this word translated as peace at all in the New Testament, anywhere else. It doesn't exist. This is the only place where you will read this word. Okay, now I'm going to try and say this. This is, I rein up oeo. Do you want to say that with me? I'm only it? <laughs> I rein up oeo. And it comes from a word to mean pacificatory. <laughs> pacificatory. Have, 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 have anyone ever use that word? <laughs> Obviously pacify. It's, it's like a, a, a derivative of pacify pacificatore. And this derivative word that Paul uses means this. When Paul writes this word peace, he means to be a peacemaker. That is to harmonize and to make peace, to make peace. There in his Greek lexicon, he simply says that it means to make peace and establish harmony. Jesus spoke these well-known words in Matthew 5, during his Sermon on the Mount, we find them as part of we call, what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed or blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Well, you know what, church? God himself is a peacemaker. God is a peacemaker. He's the greatest of all peacemakers. He's the model and the example of what it means to be a peacemaker. If you want to know what a peacemaker is, look at the Lord. God is one who makes peace and brings harmony. He is the one who brings harmony and unity into the universe that he created by and through and for Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. What else does the text tell us tonight? It tells us a lot that God was reconciling all things to himself. You see, God's intent was to bring harmony and peace between himself and his creation. And you know what, church? He succeeded. God, the great peacemaker, was pleased and was delighted that he had now made, out, made it possible sorry for everything to be reconciled back to himself. The things on earth? Yes. What about the things in heaven? Yes. Everything? You see, this was the Almighty God's re-establishment of his rule over his creation. In both the spiritual realm and the earthly realm, church, nothing was left out. And in this reconciliation and this restoration event, the totality of created things, everything would be restored back to where they originally were before the fall of man and the transfer of power to the one who is the father of lies and that great deceiver. Now everything was being restored and reconciled. Now everything could be back, returned to perfect relationship with the father. Now finding ourselves in verse 20, we can look at this whole passage from a different angle from verse 15 and see a little bit of a pattern emerging. See, there's a balance to this portion. There's a balance to this passage that Paul included in his letter to the Colossians. The entire portion, as we know, speaks of the authority and the preeminence of the Son of God, the supreme and superior sustainer. We know this, we've read it, we've studied it. But you know, we can also break this portion down into two balanced balanced sections. We have verses 15 to 17 being the first and verses 18 to 20 being the second. In the former, in the first section, we have Paul writing concerning the priority of Jesus Christ as the perfect image and representation of God over all creation. And in the latter, in the second section, we then read Paul's words affirming Jesus Christ's superiority and his supremacy over his body, over his church, over the ecclesia, over the called out ones and his work as reconciler of the entire universe. First, we read and learn of Jesus having all this fullness within him, all the divinity and authority. And then we read and learn of how God, the Almighty God, is reconciling everything in his created order back to himself through the one who carried all that fullness. Church, is this not wonderful? These two things brought the Father the one true God, the almighty creator, so much pleasure and delight. And church, it should bring us no less when we know this. And I want you to take note tonight. All of this, absolutely everything in this passage is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the central figure and the central character in all of this. You see, everything revolves around him and everything is resolved by him. He is everything and everything in the word, everything in your Bible is about him and it's connected to him. It's all about Jesus. Look, we've already spoken of the issues facing the Colossian church a few weeks ago. Some of the misleading teaching of Jesus. um, Sorry, that came out wrong. (laughs) Like there was a teaching that was misleading the people and the teaching was that Jesus was not enough. That Jesus wasn't enough for salvation or for faith, or for any of that any of that stuff. But Paul is making it clear here: Jesus Christ is our Creator. He is the exalted one, and He played a vital part and a central role in reconciling the world back to God. Paul was telling the Colossians, "Look, there's no other power, there's no other God, small g, or savior needed." You don't need any angels or extra spirits or superstitious pagan deities. You don't need any of them. You only need Jesus Christ, the supreme and superior sustainer, because he can give you everything that you need. You see, he was the only one who could bring that peace and bring that reconciliation that was needed. He was the only one who could restore all things back to God and to reconcile everything in heaven and on earth back to the Father, back to the way that things should have been. And you know what? He did, and he is. The plan succeeded. The plan was a complete and total success. How did he do it? How was this peace made? What made this reconciliation that we're talking about tonight possible? Well, Paul tells us plainly and simply, God brought about this peace and harmony through the blood of the cross. Through the blood of the cross, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. You can see the important bit. Well, it's all important, but for this particular section, underlined through the blood of his cross, the cross, the sacrificial death, the substitutionary atonement at Calvary was the event that made this peace possible. It was the only thing that could bring about this peace and it enabled the Almighty God to reconcile and restore everything back to himself. Church, the cross, the death of Jesus and the shedding of that precious blood that we remembered this morning around the table, that was the vehicle by which God brought peace and made peace with all mankind and his created order. And he brought about that reconciliation. You see, church, the atonement What Jesus did on the cross, it is the thing that results in reconciliation. It's all about the atonement. It's all about the cross. It brings reconciliation between those who are far from God and with God himself. The cross of Christ secured peace and it enabled reconciliation. And it's by the blood. Do not miss that. It was by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on a Roman cross at Golgotha. His blood, his precious blood makes the atonement for sin. And this leads to the reconciliation between God and man and God and his creation. Church, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, it was broad and it was full. And there is where the peace was made at Calvary. You know, I've heard people say, you've all heard people say it, Maybe it's a Northern Ireland thing, I don't know. I've made my peace with God. I've made my peace with God. That's not the way it works. It's round the wrong way. It's the wrong way around. We don't and we can't make peace with God because we don't have the power, we don't have the authority, or, nor do we have the capability to make it happen. It's only Jesus and Jesus alone who can make a way for us and all humanity because he provides the peace for us through the finished work at Calvary. Amen. He's the one who did all the work. He's the one that does all the work. We simply get to sit back and reap all the benefits of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Church, it fascinates me that it's a gift, the free gift of salvation. It's incredible. But you know what? Don't think of the blood of Jesus. I've never thought about this before, but don't think of the blood of Jesus as superstitious in nature. The blood of Jesus was not some magical potion, nor is it his literal blood that is applied to us in the same way that the Israelites applied the blood all those years ago um, in Egypt. You know, those who were close to the cross at his crucifixion, the Roman soldiers, Maybe God got splattered with his blood. But it didn't mean anything. It's not a literal application. The blood of Jesus Christ, because it speaks and communicates about the real historical and physical death of the Redeemer in our place, on our behalf, before a holy God. A sacrificial death, a substitutionary death, paying the penalty for the sins of the world, Church, that is how peace was made. God, the eternal peacemaker, needed a sacrifice. He needed a sacrifice. We've read about the bulls and goats in the Old Covenant. We know that he needed a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, provided all that was necessary. Everything. The work of redemption was complete. We celebrated it recently at Easter time. Paid in full, it is finished. The sacrifice had been made and the price had been paid. And now God could begin his work of restoration and reconciliation. You see, church, the cross, think of the cross as the foundation. The foundation laid for this work of reconciliation. With all things on earth and all things in heaven. And Jesus Christ alone, the one in whom all this fullness of divinity was found, went to that Roman tree, shed his blood and died. And in doing so, he laid the foundation for the greatest reconciliation plan of all time. Of all time. Church, Jesus Christ is not only the creator, and he is. He's not only the sustainer, and he definitely is. He's not only supreme and the preeminent Lord. He certainly is. He is also the great reconciler. He's the great reconciler by his blood and through his cross. You see, Paul here is lifting up the one sovereign mediator and the one supreme and superior sustainer who now is the one great reconciler of all things. His cross, the cross of Christ, became the bond of peace for all of the universe. You know, this word reconcile is such a, it's such a wonderful word. It's the Greek word apokatadlaso. You want to say that with me? <laughs> apokatadlaso. And it's, it's from a blend of two other words. And it means to reconcile fully. That's, it's so simple. To reconcile fully. Listen to these three wonderful meanings. To reconcile completely. To reconcile back again and I love this one, to bring back a former state of harmony. You know, I looked up our English word reconcile just to see what I could find, and I liked what I found. It means to restore friendly relationships between. Isn't that good news for the world? Isn't that good news for us? You see, God set about restoring the relationship that it once had with him. Another meaning was to restore harmony, to reconcile the factions and reconcile differences. To bring to a state free of conflicts, inconsistencies or differences. Yeah. To reconcile is to accommodate, to attune, to conciliate, to coordinate and harmonize. Look church, if you've learned nothing else tonight you've learned a few new words. <laughs> Don't be showing off of them though. <laughs> Make sure you learn what they mean first. <laughs> Some related words to reconcile are to blend, to connect, to dovetail, I love that, to dovetail, to integrate, to orchestrate, to synchronize and to unify. Church, isn't it good news to know that God has made peace with everything on earth and in the heavens? He has begun, he has reconciled his creation and all that is in it completely back to himself to the former state of harmony. And has made it possible to reconcile opposing factions and to be able to reconcile differences. He's made it possible for the world to be free of conflict with himself as he accommodates, as he conciliates and coordinates this restoration. He has made it possible for the creation and all mankind to dovetail with himself. I had to try and get it in somewhere. To harmonize and synchronize with our creator and redeemer. And now there was an opportunity for unification and total reconciliation. And he makes it all possible, how? Through the greatest sacrifice of all made at Calvary. God gave us the gift of his son. And through his death, he offers the world the great gift of reconciliation and restoration back to relationship with himself. Church, I am so glad I know we say it so often, but I am so glad tonight that Jesus came. I am so glad that he finished the course that was set before him. He didn't stop halfway. He didn't stop three quarters of the way. He went the full way and he finished what was set before him. And you know what? Because of this sacrifice, because of what he did, he laid the foundation for God's great plan of reconciliation. And church, we It's not just for the Colossians, not just for the Romans, not just for those in Ephesus or Galatia. We get to enjoy and be partakers of that reconciliation. And that's what we'll be talking about next week as we move into the next few verses. Church, God's great plan was to reconcile everything on earth and in heaven back to Himself. And He did it by making peace. He's a peacemaker. And he restored harmony in the universe by the virtue of the cross of Christ at Calvary. And his plan succeeded in every way. The work of restoration was complete by making peace through the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Here is Colossians 1, 19, 20. We haven't really looked at many other verses tonight. I just wanted to focus on these two. But here it is in a, in, a, in a translation called The Voice. And I really like this. God was pleased that all his fullness should forever dwell in the Son, who, as predetermined by God, bled peace into the world by his death on the cross as God's means of reconciling to himself the whole creation, all things in heaven and all things on earth. I love that little bit. He bled peace into the world. Isn't that wonderful? And you know, after bringing this wonderful portion of scripture to a conclusion, Paul writes some more wonderful words that we will read in just a moment. And this opportunity of reconciliation that Paul will share with the saints in Colossae is now possible because of what God has done. He has made peace by the blood of the cross and now reconciliation with God is available. Church, God did the groundwork. He, through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has made it possible for those who desire to be restored and reconciled to God, that is now available to all of us. It's available to all mankind. And Paul makes this crystal clear as he continues to write to his beloved friends in the city of Colossae. And church, you know what? What he wrote nearly 2,000 years ago is still true today. And it's true and it's relevant for us. You see, the words of God are still relevant. They are. And reconciliation is still available today. Because of heaven Because all of heaven and earth has been reconciled through the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. Church, it pleased God to do this. It pleased God to do this. It gave God delight to do this, to put this plan into motion. And he has made this restoration and reconciliation sure. A restoration of all things. And here's the next two verses. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, oh church, to present you, this is so wonderful, to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. Church, we are holy, we are unblameable, and we are unreprovable in his sight. Amen. That is good news tonight. That's wonderful news tonight. Why don't we stand together, church? And we're gonna sing just a beautiful modern hymn as we close this evening service. Thank you for your attention.